Welcome to another episode of Up To. Nine years ago, Up To started as a live event series showcasing leaders who are as humble as they are successful. The humility piece is extremely important as we identify leaders who can inspire others. We try to focus our interviews on the non-business aspects of their lives, and in doing so, have found there's a real thirst to explore their hearts and minds in atypical ways. Our host, as always, is Adam Kaufman, and on this episode, we are joined by Pankaj Shah. Thanks for joining us. We'll be right back. During the first season of the Up To podcast, I had several companies and entrepreneurs approach me about potential partnerships, but I'm really selective before choosing to do something like that. One choice we did make happily is to partner with Vivid Front, a full service digital marketing and website design agency based in Cleveland that works with both local and national brands. They've built their entire client base on referrals and they've won a lot of awards, including the 2019 Inc. Magazine Top 5,000 Fastest Growing Companies, North Coast's Top Places to Work, and several others. They're known for their talent, they're known for their creativity, they're known for their culture, a firm I liked before we agreed to partner together for the show. Check out vividfront.com, or you can email me and I'll introduce you to their dynamic leader, Andrew Spott. Welcome back. You're listening to the Up To Podcast with host Adam Kaufman. Today's guest is Pankaj Shah. Pankaj Shah is the founder and CEO of Finches, a global collective of thought leaders in early stage technology, and also is the founder of his brand new venture, Sparrows, which aims to create a human network built on authenticity. Wow, that's a big idea. Pankaj is also an investor in dozens of companies, an advisor to eight venture capital firms, I don't know how he does that, and collaborates regularly with the NBA. He is an early backer of Wish.com, the huge e-commerce company which went public in December, in Adapar, BuildZoom, OpenGov, and KiwiCrate, which has really taken off during COVID. His advisory roles include Boom TV, Goat Fuel, Meter Feeder, Pear Eyewear, Quantic Mind, Quilt, One Hope, and Zbiotics, and there are others. Pankaj is passionate about incubating ideas, building communities, and helping scale consumer brands in the sports, media, and entertainment sectors. He recently also launched Pace Car and a soon-to-be-announced gin company. His current philanthropic focus is with the Angiogenesis Foundation and Hillaroo. Pankaj is also an advocate for Every Mother Counts, Virgin Unite, and Witness. He has served on the board of directors of BRAC USA and Girls Inc. and supported Music Rising. Pankaj has been a guest speaker at a number of the finest universities in America, including Columbia, Harvard, NYU, Stanford, and Tufts. Pankaj, welcome to the Up To podcast. What have you been up to? You pretty much just said it. I'm hanging out with my crew at Sparrows, trying to get this thing off the ground. We just launched it in in the summer last year, so it's not even a year old. Congratulations. Um, yeah, and we just went live with Pace Car <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, so it's exciting what, to what get is that Pace one Car? Pace Car, I, listen, Pace Car, I think, is a romantic idea. Um, I jumped this one up a couple of years ago, um, mostly because I was getting taken advantage of on my um, interest rate, on my auto loan. 
And through the last couple of years, I just started thinking more and more, like, if you remember when we were growing up, like our parents always had AAA. And it's because there were like mechanical problems with every car. It didn't really matter what you paid for the car. The quality just wasn't great. And now you wake up in this era, and I think the cheapest cars you can find are probably higher quality vehicles than what we, like the best cars when we were growing up. Totally. They just don't break down as much. But the problems that consumers have around their auto experience is really around the money. Nobody trusts the system, right? So like people are really skeptical if they're getting the best price on a car, on their insurance, on their interest rate, on a repair that needs to get done. And so what we're building at Pacecar is basically a subscription service where you're going to pay us some number of dollars a year. I don't know exactly what it is yet, but I think it's probably going to be around 99 bucks a year. And we're going to be your bodyguard for your car. Hmm. Every single time you have something going on in any of those categories, you can call us and we'll make sure that you're getting the best price. That's creative. And you know, it's, it's one of those ideas, like, I can't believe it doesn't already exist. I, I love your idea. And if that's not enough, you've also launched Sparrows and you're on the board of so many other small businesses and venture capital firms. How do you decide like how to spend your day's time? Like, is it, is it temporarily like sparrows because that's your newest launch or like, how do you decide even what to jump into? Yeah. I mean, sparrows is my main focus. Um, we raise money for it and it's institutionally backed. So I, from the time I wake up until, probably five or six every single day I'm on Sparrow stuff. And then I've carved out a few hours a day for my other random projects. And Sparrows um, is, uh, I'll simplify, you want to create LinkedIn with emotion and heart. Yeah. I mean, I label it as the human network. The you know, human you, network. You're on the site, you have a great profile. And it's interesting because we've launched the site since last summer and like we don't really have any network features. Yeah. Mostly because I think one of the differentiators for us is our customer, I hate that word, but it's like our customer is you. Mm. Like for LinkedIn, it's the recruiter. For Facebook, it's the advertiser. For Twitter, it's the advertiser. Mm. And for us, like every decision we make is around the human being to make mm. sure that they're being presented in the way they want to be presented online. Mm. And so, you know, your profile is amazing. And I love it. I have it on my signature line. I want everyone I interact with to see it. Yeah. And hopefully it's helped you build more authentic relationships. Yeah. Cause if it's in your signature line, presumably every single time you're trading emails, scheduling a meeting, somebody's going to click on it and be like, who is this guy? I mean, think through, like I've been in Silicon Valley for 21 years. Um, I don't know a single relationship that I have that was built based on us going to the same school or working at the same company. That's right. I have friends that, which is all LinkedIn indexes on. Yeah. So like I have friends that I've worked with before. It's not because we work together. It's because we had other interesting things in common. Mm -hmm. um, and that was like social causes that we care about or music we listen to or countries we've been to or things like that, where it was just like easier to form a bond. Um, and that's what really what Sparrows brings to light, and especially in this day and age where everybody has their pitchforks out ready to stab each other. Oh my like gosh. you get on Sparrows and the first thing you see is how you're connected to somebody. And that's like the mind shift we want to make at Sparrows, which is just like, can we at least acknowledge that we have a lot of things in common as a society and as human beings, like just start there. I love the idea. I love the platform. I mean, how, how do you come up with an idea like this? Is it idea number 10 or one day you woke up saying the world needs another social network or like, how, how do you even, how does an idea percolate to the point where it's a business you're going to launch? Yeah. So Sparrows was incubated, um, 
really is a completely different idea. It, it, it was something that was like brewing amongst like a bunch of young venture capitalists um, that were here for a dinner at Finch's um, a few years ago. And we started thinking through like how to build a community for the young VCs. And one of the things we wanted to do is like match them. And so my initial instinct was just like, well, we should just get everybody's LinkedIn profiles. And this buddy of mine, Frederick Gross at Storm Ventures, he just got promoted to be a partner there. He said, well, we don't really like LinkedIn profiles because everybody went to the same school and kind of has the same job. And it led us down this path. I should give him more credit. Um, but it led us down this path where we started exploring like, well, what is a good profile? He just named him on the Up To podcast. We've been downloaded in 70 countries. He's getting a lot of credit, Pankaj. He should get as much as he gets. Um, he deserves every bit of it. Um, yeah. And so it started this journey where we were thinking through like, well, what is a good profile and what's meaningful? Mm. And the more we thought about it, it's like LinkedIn's not going anywhere. Like if you want to figure out what somebody's done in their career, just go there and check it out. But it's like, where's all the other stuff that makes a person a person? Mm. Um, and the answer really was nowhere. So we've walked this fine line, I'd say so way more, I think, human and interesting than LinkedIn and we're way less creepy than Facebook. As a user of it, I agree with both those statements. I want to unpack a couple of things you went over quickly there. Having dinner in Silicon Valley, um, you're in Palo Alto right now. You live in Northern California in like the hotbed of all things startup and venture. Uh, and you mentioned having dinner at your house with Finches. Can you unpack Finches a little bit? I feel like you and I are kindred spirits. I don't know if you remember, but when we were introduced, our mutual friend, Eric Chen, said to me, Adam, meet the Adam Kaufman of Palo Alto. And that was a downgrade for you, but that is what he said, <laughs> because I love convening people also. So can you tell, tell us a little bit about what Finch's is and that convening concept that you implemented in your own home? Yeah. First of all, that's a great honor. Yeah. So Finch's, um, I started that, I think in 2000, 17 i'm losing track of time a little bit um but the idea really was like we have this group of people from all around the world that are either investors founders um general partners at funds um and we wanted to have these themed dinners here so it wasn't like a boondoggle like people showed up here to have like intellectually stimulating thought-provoking mm -hmm. dinners that revolved around a topic we've done all kinds of things by the way about um, social capitalism, about mental health, about robotics. Um, we've had a bunch of GP dinners here at Funds where they brought their LPs over to talk about where the world's going in venture. And it became like a really cool, I think, experience for everybody who's a member. Um, we've got 100 people. Like I said, they're global. So we have Finches who physically live in Singapore, so, Tokyo. So they're members and they actually join yeah. and then they're getting invited to these themed dinners. It's an interesting model yeah. in a residence in your home. Yeah. And so like the members, you don't have to be a member to show up to the dinner. You know, the okay. idea here was to create like a network effect, but the hundred finches we have, I'd say that's like a tight knit community. Um, and I think pre COVID anyway, it was bringing like a lot of meaning to people because you just sped up the relationship building in person. Connection. You know how it is. You do a bunch of these dinners. It's like you have it in somebody's house and we have a professional kitchen and we have a garden that feeds 40 people a week when it's in full bloom. Mm. Um, so everything was just kind of here. And, um, I think the network effect ended up being 
good. It's just Didn't we you had, tell me like, you had like 200. You hosted like 200 of these dinners. We've done 140, I think. Wow. And you'll yeah. return to that. Do you think post pandemic? Do you think you'll start it up again? I hope so. I mean, it's like, I think people got a lot of meaning and interest out of it. Um, mm -hmm. Like I said, the community here, it's been thoughtful and kind and thought provoking. Um, so yeah, I don't know that we'd pick it up at the cadence we used to have because we were doing like a couple of these every single week. Um, and we took a bunch of months off, you know, we didn't really do anything in August or December. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was concentrated into probably eight or nine of the months out of the year. And we would just like jam in a bunch of dinners. We'll for sure start them again. So you're a real connector. I mean, that comes out in this Finch's idea, the in-person dinners. It comes out in this new Sparrows platform. Where do you think this uh, desire to just connect the dots, as I call it, comes from? Can we like take a step back? What type of family were you born into? Were you a real social family? Was it an ethnic family where your heritage was part of this social kind of um, gregarious way? Or tell us a little bit about your, your early years. Yeah, my parents moved here from India in the 60s. Um, my sister was born in 1970. I was born in 1973. We grew up in New Hampshire for, I was there for eight years, then Pennsylvania for a couple, and then Sorry, Connecticut for eight years, Pennsylvania for a couple, and then New Hampshire for my formative years. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, it was like the typical immigrant story. My parents worked super, super hard. Um, they're highly educated. They're, I think, gave up their lives for all intents and purposes to give my sister and I what we have. Mm -hmm. um, gave us the opportunity to do, I guess, somewhat cool things. My sister is the star of the family for sure. <laughs> what does she do? What is she and, up to? Maybe we should have her on the show instead of you. She would be a much more interesting guest. She, <laughs> um, she is a PhD in biomedical engineering. She started a few companies. Um, and real she, slacker, it yeah, like. she's a real slacker mother of four amazing children. Um, yeah, she's a great, great human being. Mm. Um, and I'll happily put you in touch with her. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, that was like our upbringing. My dad was a chemical engineer. My mom was a computer programmer. Um, and then we just like through a twisted path, my sister and I kind of find our way out to Silicon Valley. She came out in 98 and I came out in 99. And do you ever look around you and you're in this hotbed of, I mean, I obviously wasn't around in 1900, but back then I think everyone in business wanted to make it to wall street. Now everyone right. wants to make it to Silicon Valley. Like, do you ever think like, how did I get here? How did I host, you know, hosting these dinners or, you know, you have a, pretty famous next door neighbor. You're in the middle of a lot of really interesting things. Like, do you ever think about how did I get here? I'm, I'm, I'm an imposter, imposter syndrome. I, I think about that every day. And I just mm. gave, I think I sent you the link to the other podcast I did, which was a chunk of it was about imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. I think by the way, most people I know have it. I know for sure I have it, but yeah, I walk, I wake up every day thinking just like, what happened? Why am I here? Yeah, imposter um, syndrome is actually pretty common, and the more humble one is, the more likely one is to suffer from that a little bit. People who mm -hmm. are vain and cocky don't have any imposter syndrome. They think, of course I'm in this, this, this zone. But believe it or not, the studies were, were done by two women, the original imposter syndrome study, and it was about other women. But now 
we have found that it applies to people in business, male and female, and different walks of life, athletes as well. So it really is an interesting dynamic. How do you cope with that? Do you feel like you kind of fake it until you make it or? Yeah, I think nowadays it's more just like, it's kind of like anxiety. I don't know that you can ever get rid of it. You can change your relationship with it. And I just, I haven't spent enough time thinking about it, but I would, I'd suggest at least in my experience for just me, um, I don't know that I can ever get rid of having imposter syndrome. I can manage it better. And there is like some guilt associated with it, but I think right. more than anything, it's like a gratefulness. Mm. And so like, Gratitude. you know, I am, I am in this environment and this economy. And like, if I can do interesting, meaningful things and work with great people, like I want to keep doing more of that. Yeah. I feel like those of us who might suffer from any aspect of imposter syndrome, if we verbalize it and know that others feel the same, it makes it feel better. I do like your anxiousness, anxiety um, kind of characterization. It's kind of like an athlete before the game. Maybe you're not nervous, but you're anxious. Your belly's rumbling. You're ready to get out there and play on the pitch. Yeah. But then once it starts, you're, you're in the zone. Maybe that's also true in the business environments in which we find ourselves. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Now, speaking of athletes, I mean, you you interact socially as well as professionally with major athletes. Um, one of your best friends is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We won't name him for privacy reasons, but you have some really interesting people you hang with. I, I, I've also heard a rumor in my, our crack due diligence team here at Up To Pankaz that you may actually know Vladimir Putin's physician, how do, you, how do you know all of these? How do you maintain relationships with so many people who seem to have very little in common with you? Like, what's what's your secret to the relationships? That's a good question. I I don't know that I've ever really thought about it, to tell you the truth. Um, I like people. I like storytelling. Um, yeah. And I, I was a shy, quiet introvert until I was probably 30 years old. Are you serious? Um, I can't imagine you being yeah. shy. Yeah, I was. And I just broke out of my shell and I turned into a monster for a little while. And now I'm like, I think a more rational human being. But I love, I just love interacting with people. Um, I take every meeting. I try to go on every single trip I can go on to create new experiences or experience them. And yeah, I think that's just opened up like a lot of doors with a lot of interesting people. I think that's good advice. Yeah. Like I know for me, when I went through a big transition in my career, I had goals for the next version of me, but I prayed that the goals wouldn't become tunnel vision, still being open to other things. That's kind of what you're describing because we can mm -hmm. be too focused as well. Right. And not have, we would have blinders on essentially if we weren't looking beyond our black and white goals that we set out for ourselves. How do you think you're doing with relationships? during these extended COVID protocols where it is harder to be with people in person here, you and I are doing a virtual interview. How do you think you personally are doing with the relationships during this year that we've had? So, 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 so I, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I also think I was just having this conversation at dinner a couple of weeks ago. I don't know what the exact number is, but I bet you people can't really have more than 25 friends like actual friends. And I think mm -hmm. if COVID has like taught us anything about like family, friendships, I do think people have become more intentful 
I'm not even sure that's a word, but I think people become more intentful yeah. about like intentional how they yeah. spend their time and who they intentionally, yeah, how they spend their time and who they spend it with. Mm-hmm. And I actually have spent a lot of time thinking through like, well, who is my crew? Like, who are the 20, 25 people that I just need to stay in touch with to feel complete um, and motivated and inspired and all that loved, all those things. So then I can have like a small crew of people where I'm intentional about my time with them and my interactions with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that part, it's made me, it's made me a little more focused. Um, I think the rest has kind of been a struggle, I would say, for everybody. I mean, it's just hard keeping relationships up on Zoom screens. It really is. For two, it two really long. is hard. And I usually travel half the time, including being in your area about every eight weeks. And yeah. while still being careful, I'm I'm ready to be back out there. I've, I have started traveling again only recently, and um, I'm just grateful that the numbers continue to go down everywhere and hopefully we can all be hugging each other in person you know before too long i would hope so yeah what about the um the fact that you have uh you know some children that are a little bit older now but have you found you've been able to spend more time with them or less uh during the pandemic a lot of folks i talk to that's one of the silver linings is they are spending more time with family during these um restrictions in terms of how we interact with others yeah i i i have spent more time with them even with my nieces and nephews my sister's kids um they all kind of dispersed a few months ago and went back to school and things um but yeah i think for the first six or seven months of covid of the lockdown um there was way more meaningful time yeah yeah and do you think think that blessing for a lot of people yeah so like they're aside from the obvious um health issues for COVID. I do think there are like a few silver linings of just how people spend their time um, and how intentional they are, right? So if you think about the idea of like commuting an hour or two to work every single day, I think those days are over. Like I can't imagine that's going to come back for most people. And that's just like found time that you can do things with your, yeah, why bother with your family or your friends or read a book or meditate or whatever it is. I, I do think there are like a lot of good things that are coming, going to come out of COVID society-wise, yeah. You're listening to the Up To Podcast. We'll be right back. I'm grateful that Calfee, Halter, and Griswold has agreed to once again partner with us. With offices in Ohio and Washington, D.C., this full-service national law firm focuses on every aspect of business and the law, including corporate and finance, intellectual property, and government relations. Let me be clear, I actually approach companies with whom I would like to partner. We just don't accept marketing dollars from anyone. I have been referring my CEO and entrepreneur friends to Calfee for years. I really believe in the firm. One of their notable practice areas is in mergers and acquisitions. And recently, for instance, I introduced a successful entrepreneur in the Midwest to Calfee when he told me that a European-based conglomerate wanted to buy his business. Calfee works with large corporations, as well as privately held companies throughout the U.S. and Canada and in Europe and Asia, too. So whether it's selling your own business or the more routine needs of creating your first will or anything in between, this firm can really do it all in terms of legal needs. Once again, the firm is Calfee, Halter, and Griswold, and you can find them at calfee.com or on the Up2 Foundation website. 
Welcome back. You're listening to the Up To Podcast. Today's guest is Pankaj Shah. One of the things that you did during COVID that I was like, why didn't I think of that? Is you, and you can fact check me on this, but you posted on LinkedIn, probably and Sparrows, office hours. I'm gonna do office hours. I'm gonna meet with whoever wants to meet with me. Maybe it was 30 minutes, maybe it was like every Friday. And you would just t- take meetings from entrepreneurs and investors and collaborators. Yeah, I, it literally just like popped into my head, I think on a Friday morning and I posted it that day and said, how interesting, let's just see what happens. Um, so I blocked off from one to four, I think, um, every Friday for a few months and just put in my Calendly link and was just like, anybody who wants to schedule a meeting, just go ahead and do it. Um, and it was super fun. Yeah. It, and it, it just filled up. Like, I mean, you, 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 you told me every slot was filled pretty quickly. Yeah. Every spot was filled for like 13 straight weeks. I think within, it might've been that day. Uh, this could be helpful to me because I'm a connector all day too. I'm always connecting dots and one plus one equals three. And I'm, I love seeing people benefit from introductions, but I do a lot of filtering as well. Mm-hmm. How do you decide like when and how far to help somebody, even like someone you just met through these online office hours, do you immediately open up your valuable world of hard-earned relationships to these newcomers to you, or do you do much filtering? I, I do a lot of filtering, maybe too much, but I, I found that's what's worked for me at least. Yeah, I do filter. I mean, if I don't get a good vibe from somebody, I probably won't be openly helpful. But I think by and large, I probably don't filter enough. You're making me think because I do get a lot of emails back from friends being like, why did you put me in touch with this person? I'm like, why does it matter? Just say hello. You haven't done that to me, but I hate it when people will send me a note and they'll copy the other person right away. Oh, Adam, you need to speak with Joe about blah, blah, blah. At first, I like to interact with my friend, the common person, and hear why he thinks I should interact with Joe. I'm not at all trying to sound elitist, but I want to be useful to the person and be efficient with time. So for me, I always do it like permission-based. So if I ever send somebody to you, I'm first going to ask you, would you be willing to talk to Joe, so to speak? Yeah, I should probably be better at that. I don't do that enough. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm glad I could be helpful today. Uh, Back to you, though. So you're in Silicon Valley. You live in Palo Alto, the heart of everything. It's sunny every day. I can tell it's gorgeous right there today. Uh, You are the envy of all of us in the venture world by living there and the the things you get to do and the people you're exposed to. Do you think Silicon Valley will... Well, before I say that question, I'll first ask you, what do you think is so special? Why is it such the special, vibrant place for startups and venture? I'm sure you've been asked that before, but it's still an unknown answer because no other city has been able to recreate it. So what's special about Silicon Valley? Yeah, I mean, like all societies, I think there are good things and bad things about Silicon Valley. Um, But I would say what makes it special for the tech ecosystem is a combination of pattern recognition um, and that institutional knowledge in this geographic area, I think is hard to replicate. And the other is just like the cadence. So non-COVID times, like the idea of being able to just like um, sit at a coffee shop and hang out with a founder who's done something that can give you advice or an investor or like having all these meetings, it's just like everybody's just here. Um, And, you know, we've had like this 
I don't know if it's a mass exodus, but we've for sure had an exodus of some super high profile people leave Silicon Valley in the last year and leave California. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens. You know, I'm still long-term bullish on this area because I just think like Stanford, Berkeley, um, the institutional knowledge here, it's just like, there's so much of it. So even if mm -hmm. like 10% of the people decided to pull the ripcord and get out of here, it's still like going to be an order of magnitude, I think more vibrant. Yeah. The scale path. is so different where you are. I, yeah. I, I was planning on asking that question next. Do you think Silicon Valley will return to the vibrant self it was. There have been some high profile exits, whether it's, you know, Palantir and Tesla picking a new city for some some work. I think even Peter Thiel went south to LA before the pandemic. There have been others, mm -hmm. but still the 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 overwhelming number of creative entrepreneurs and successful venture back companies are still uh, in your area. Yeah. They're here for now. I, like I said, I'm long-term bullish. I've also been That's saying good. for years, I mean, every Roman empire falls mm. and nobody knows when it's happening. Like we could be in the middle of the Roman empire here in Silicon Valley falling. We just might not know it. Um, so who knows? I mean, it's like, there are a few people leaving now, like if the tax situation gets worse in California or there's some right. kind of other macro event, like it could drive masses and masses of people out of here. Who knows? Have you enjoyed any areas or are you eyeing any new areas that you're kind of evaluating more than just thinking about once in a while in terms of future business opportunities or personal lifestyle interest? Yeah, I spent a little bit of time in Austin. Um, I've spent a lot of time in Denver and Chicago, um, in LA, mm -hmm. New York. You know, I was there every other week for a long time. And I love all those cities. Like, I think there are good things about all those places. I'm just not sure I found a place where I would be any happier than I am here. Right. Not, at least not yet. Yeah. yeah. Austin, everyone seems to be talking about. And uh, I know uh, the world's uh, second most influential podcast, uh, Joe Rogan, moved to Austin even. And that was a big decision yeah. for him to, to leave Southern California. Have you started flying yet or are you still staying pretty close? I've flown a few times. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that I'm eager to like spend too much time on planes. Um, but yeah, I, you know, we're coming out of it, right? I think in the next few months, yeah, we're going to get our vaccines and it's going to be okay to travel again. And I'm looking forward to it. I mean, there are just so many places I miss being. Yeah. And I'm so excited about all the entrepreneurs right now who are solving problems and creating companies that we haven't even heard about yet, but they're doing it now in this COVID age. And I think there's going to be a really vibrant post COVID period of creativity that I'm just really excited to start learning more about and trying to identify trends. I'm sure you've thought about that too. You're even further into that world than I am. Listen, I think the restaurants filling up the travel starting again, people socializing, going to sporting events, going to concerts. I mean, there are all kinds of things I'm looking forward to. And I do think you're right. Like there are a lot of hopefully generational companies that are getting started right now mm -hmm. that are solving problems we didn't even know we needed to solve. Exactly. Yeah. Hair loss, for instance, for me. <laughs> I, yeah. uh, I would add in drug discovery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's Future probably the work. second most important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Going to Mars, you know. Yeah. other problems beyond my hair loss listen on a <laughs> more serious note let's get back to it how do you in terms of the startups you have a prolific uh investing record you wouldn't say that but that is me saying that 
you have identified some entrepreneurs early on that have grown very large companies. Can you share any details about how you decide who to back or what types of traits you look for? And when you're investing in something like Wish that goes public or I mean, at a par, these are huge companies. Do you, do you have a thesis or is it always a gut hunch? <clears throat> how do you think about that? Yeah, I think the one thing I would correct, as you said, you've identified on and on and on. And the reality is I haven't identified any of them. Um, okay. There's only one company I can think of where I met the company and I was like, these people are going to make it. I want to get involved. I think every other company I found through a friend um, and I'm not really that great at doing diligence. And so I basically look at our mutual friend, Eric, or any of the other funds I'm involved with. And if they have something interesting and I can be largely helpful in any way, I'll probably jump in and get involved. But yeah, I haven't sourced. I'll have to have a deeper think about it, but I think I've only sourced that one company on my own. But see, that's the humble you coming out. I mean, you still have the ability to decide, do I listen to this friend's tip or not? You probably pass on some things as well. And others have heard about wish.com or at a par and chosen not to invest. And now it seems obvious, of course you would invest, but you must have something. You must have more um, analysis going into it. Maybe it's not formal due diligence with Excel spreadsheets and analyzing competitive landscapes, but there must be something there that in spite of your humble you that you're good at. Yeah, maybe the thing is just like who I listen to, right? If you yeah, look at those I mean, companies. You're trusted, at, you're trusted advisors. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, because I trust Eric. I trust Joe Lonsdale. I trust Ulas Nayak. Like, I mean, any of these folks that I interact with, like when they bring me something, it, yeah, it for sure carries more weight. Um, and maybe that's like the good thing I've done in investing is just partnered with really amazing people. But like I said, they've done all the work on all these deals. <laughs> yeah, but again, you're being humble. You've also brought deals to some of those people. I know that. True. So I just want to give you some credit. You're, you're living the theme of the Up To show, which is leaders who are as humble as they are successful. You're a very humble human being, and that's you know one of the things I like about you. You also speak, I think you enjoy it, speaking to students at schools and you and I were around the same age. We're a little bit older now. We're not student age. Do you ever, in talking to the students, Pankaj, do you ever think about if you could talk to the younger Pankaj, 21-year-old version of you, what advice would you give yourself? Yeah, I do think about that. Um, yeah, my journey, that's probably a whole separate podcast, <laughs> was nonlinear. Um, we still have time, so go ahead. I'll give you a little yeah, bit of room here. Told myself to be more thoughtful and present um, because when I broke out of my shell and I was in my 30s, it was just like a rough, that was a rough decade. <laughs> what do you mean? Like you're going too fast when you broke out of your shell or what, what do you mean? Yeah, I was going too fast, doing too much. And I think I just wasn't like respectful to myself, to some of the people around me. I think I, I would have just coached myself when I was 21 because, yeah, I didn't really grow up with anything. So everything was new and I am a thrill seeker. So there's just like a more measured way to be a thrill seeker um, and being mindful at the same time. Um, I think I would have been talking to myself. 
20 or 30 years ago more about that stuff. The folks, and I appreciate your candor with that answer, the folks you feel like you weren't present enough with or for, have you since shared that with them? Is it possible to do so? Yeah, I think everybody that I wanted to say something to, I said it. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. That's the good thing about life, yeah. It's like you can do things and wake up the next day and try to do them better. Well, yeah, I feel like we're constantly trying to learn and evaluate what we did, learn from our mistakes. You know, we've all had curves in the road we've had to navigate. I had a major health scare eight years ago. I could go on and on, but the show isn't about me. I want to talk more about you. Is there a time when you had to navigate a particularly surprising curve in the road that you still evaluate if you if you did the best you could with that? Yeah. I mean, I would say more than anything, you know, my marriage didn't work. So we were together for 20 four years and married for 20 and still remain, I think, good friends and interact with each other in meaningful ways. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's probably like the biggest miss, especially because we have three beautiful children and it's obviously mm-hmm. impacted their lives and on and on and on. So yeah, that's probably the one thing that I think about the most. And it's good that you have you know, a, a meaningful relationship, it sounds like, uh, w- with her today in spite of the marriage. Uh, not still being um, uh, together, but your kids, everyone has preserved good relationships in all directions. Yeah, I think for the most part, we talked about it, I think one of the first times you and I hung out where it's like, we live in this world, I think up until recently, where you would be in a meeting or a situation, people are like, oh, how are things? And the default response is always like, everything's amazing. Yeah, surface level, right. Yeah, top talk. and part of like, my journey, I was just like, why am I the only one messed up? So it took me a long time to realize everybody's going through something. Um, Absolutely. That's so true. And I'm I'm glad you brought that up. I don't, I don't mind uh, sharing this. I, I feel like I'm usually like the least accomplished person in the room at the table, including in this conversation. And I was in this group with a bunch of people in New York before COVID 10 people. I was by far the least accomplished person in the group. And the host said, everyone should share something for the group that would surprise us about yourself. And it was one person after another, basically bragging about some amazing feat in their life. And it Mm -hmm. was very intimidating to me. I was intimidated to even be there. But person number one said, I've been an editor at the Wall Street Journal for 30 years. And person number two said, uh, her family owns more apartments in South Africa than any other family in Africa. And it was just like one after another. I mean, I've read the Wall Street Journal for 30 years. I haven't been in it. It was just one thing after another. Person number three is a professor at Oxford in something that I didn't even understand what the area of expertise was. So I went last and I'm like, what on earth am I gonna say to be at all interesting at this table of accomplished, albeit not very humble people? You know what I said? I led with my biggest fears and worries. I said, hi, my name is Adam. I live in Cleveland, Ohio. That was the first oddity. They turned their head like, oh, what a, what a cute Martian. He's from Cleveland. I said, hi, I'm Adam. I'm from Cleveland. I ended my first marriage after two years, and my father was an alcoholic. And that's like the only thing that I said. I became like the most interesting person at the table because I was authentic. I so yeah. it works. And people then opened up, oh, yeah, my son is an alcoholic or yeah, I'm on my second marriage. So what you just said yeah. is a mouthful. I mean, I'm just I didn't mean to bring that up today, but what you said was a mouthful just now. Yeah. 
by the way, I mean, I can ask the interviewer a question, I guess. It's like, when you think even in that room, how you were the least accomplished, then my question is just like, how do you define accomplished? Yeah, that's true. I guess in the wrong kind of earthly ways, for sure, I measure not the money. business. Yeah, the, the people who, I think in that room, you might look at it as like, oh, I'm the least accomplished. I just go back. I'm just like, well, how do you know? Like, how are you measuring it? I mean, that's the humble you. That's awesome. You're saying that. But I think too often, whether we're in New York City or Silicon Valley, no disrespect, or Palm Beach or any of these, you know, I, I go to Geneva fairly often for work. Those places are so full of people who are so full of themselves and they're whatever level they are, they they brag to the next level. And it's just it's so backwards. Yeah. It's it's it. You're it right. Goes back we, to, I think we were talking about a few minutes ago about the whole friendship thing. This is what I was chatting with my buddy about, where it's like, I have a group of friends that are great for like emotional supports when I'm going through something I can call them. I have a handful of friends who are like more business like mentors. And then I have a handful of friends who are just inspiration, where I want to be around them because they've accomplished things um, in their fields that are mm -hmm. so extraordinary. I look mm -hmm. at them and I'm just like, how does that even happen? Anyone you've looked up to, like growing up, anyone you read about or saw a documentary about that gave you inspiration, anyone you wanted to kind of emulate your life after in any way? I'll give you a couple of answers. So one of them is there were a lot of people that I saw when I was growing up that I wanted to emulate um, or be like. Only because I'm 48 now, like I've realized like there are a lot of those things where I was just like attracted to what they were able to do, mostly because of their greatness. It's the whole be like Mike thing when we were growing up with Jordan, right? Um, it's just like, he got to a level in basketball that nobody had ever gotten to. And it was just beautiful to watch it. It didn't really matter if you liked the Bulls or not. It's just, you're watching sure this guy who's like, oh, right. literally, right. right? So yeah, there are a handful of people I can look back in my childhood and be like, wow, I don't know how that happens, but I want some of that. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. The other thing I would say is I think it is important, at least for me, to be around people who are inspiring. So one person I can give you is Matt Bellamy, who's the lead singer of Muse, the rock band. So he's the one that I'm working on this spirits company with, and who knows what's going to happen with it. But okay. like, I enjoy, first of all, I enjoy his music, um, but mm -hmm. I also enjoy how much of a student he is of his craft and how he became so unbelievably amazing at what he does. Mm -hmm. um, like he's incredible just to like talk to about how he thinks about writing songs, about performing, about making his music. Um, and those are all beautiful things. So he's another, I mean, he's one of the people I guess I can point to where I say I'm right. lucky enough to know him and I do feel inspired every time I'm around him and it gets me fired up where I'm just like, okay, I know I can't end up becoming like one of the biggest rock stars in the world, which is fine. I'm happy right. with that outcome. Mm -hmm. but it's like, at least I can take like a little bit and little bits and pieces of what he's been able to share with me and be like, okay, how do I apply that to my life? And how do I do things that are more meaningful? Yeah. Even it? in a different industry. Right. Do you ever yeah. think about who's watching you? You're probably more of a role model to others than you maybe have thought about given your humility, but do you think at all about who maybe you're inspiring? Yeah. Um, it's been part of my journey because I think if you ask anybody I worked with, um, up until 10 years ago, they would say I was a bad boss. And I think now hopefully I'm like an okay leader. There's a huge mm -hmm. difference between being a boss and a leader. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I am mindful of it. And it's one of the reasons I did office hours because I know people look at my career and say like, oh, you might have interesting things to say or 
little For bits sure. and pieces of wisdom to impart or whatever. So it's just been a way to give back. Um, and as you know, and it's not like there's not really any humility to it because it's the truth. It's like people can find all kinds of amazing mentors. And I think for the experiences I've had, like I can offer pieces of wisdom here and there, but it's like, you gotta be tactical, I think, and intentional when you seek out mentors or role models, because there's no one size fits all, yeah. Definitely have to. I know for me in my personal life, not running a company anymore, just doing different things, I don't have any kind of a board of directors anymore. So every year I, oh, and you should know, you were on this list like two years ago, every year, I list out 10 people I want to get to know better in the year ahead. And some of these folks might be someone I've already met, like in the case of you a few years ago. Some may be people I haven't even met yet, but maybe it'd be a stretch to meet that person. And others I already know and I like, but I want to spend even more time with them. So I've been doing that now. I can't remember who gave me the advice, but for about 10, about five years, I've been listing 10 people that I want to get to know better in the year ahead. So congratulations to you, Pankaj, and thank you, because you were on that list with me a couple years ago. So I'm so glad we are getting to know each other. Yeah, it's been, it's been a fun journey with you, for sure. And today has been fun. I mean, it's amazing how quickly the time goes. We're going to have to wrap up right now. I know how valuable your time is. So thank you so much, Pankaj, for being with us today on the Up To Podcast. We're really thrilled and tons of, tons of great stories and life lessons that you've shared with our listeners today. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Up To Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe via your podcast platform of choice. To receive your newsletter, to suggest speakers, and give your candid feedback, please email Adam directly at Adam at uptofoundation.org. We'd love to hear from you. The Up To Podcast is produced by the BL Media Group right outside of the nation's capital in Washington, D.C. See you next time.